Hello there, my name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. Like all branches of angling, fly fishing has its competitive side with both a thriving team league structure as well as corps for international duty. It also subdivides into a number of specific disciplines such as lock style fishing and river fishing within the general umbrella term. So what is often seen by non-angling participants as a relaxed genteel pastime can actually be as competitive and all-consuming as any other sport. To get a handle on just how the competitive aspect of fly fishing works, I'm sat on the fishing lodge veranda at Chew Valley Lake on a very chilly back-end afternoon with arguably England's most successful competition fly fisherman ever, John Horsey. To put this into some sort of perspective, to date, which is November 2012, your CV reads... 13 World Championship appearances, 5 European Championship appearances, 15 International Lock Style appearances and 2 International River appearances, resulting in a combined total of 7 team and 2 individual bronze medals, 7 team and 1 individual silver medal and 6 World Championship goals, 5 of which were for Lock Style fishing and 1 in the overall World Championship in 2009. Need I say any more? So you very obviously have a competitive side. Tell us, if you will, a bit about the drive behind that. When I was a kid, for some reason, I always wanted to represent my country at something. I always wanted to either play football for England or cricket for England or rugby for England. And I'd been a course fisherman since the age of six. And when I moved up to this area, I started fly fishing. I started reading lots of magazines, entered a few competitions and managed to sort of fulfil my dream and qualify for England. And, uh, and I did it once, and it's, that's a real drug. You definitely need to do it again. So I've done it 37 times, I think, now. And uh, it'd be nice to make 50. But I just enjoy it more and more, and I'm still just as keen. And I'm not competitive in the way that I want to thrash the living daylights out of my boat partner. Probably that was a problem with me when I used to play a lot of squash, because you sort of ease up a little bit sometimes, because it's getting a bit easy, and then you end up losing the game. So the same with this. I just want to do well to try and frame... And I just love the competitive side and all the social side that goes with it, because that's what a lot of people don't realise there is. There's a fantastic social side to competitive fly fishing. Take us back now to the very beginning, to your earliest formative days. How, when and why did you get into fly fishing? I first started fishing for eels in the ditch at the bottom of the garden in Bridgewater in Somerset at the age of six. My brother made me my first rod out of a bamboo cane and actually whipped some eyes onto it made some corks that we found on a summer holiday in Down Derry in Cornwall and uh, put the corks together and whittled them into shape and uh, I had an old reel with a busted handle but we had some proper monofill, some hooks and floats and I fished for eels in the ditch and that was it, me completely hooked for the rest of my life really on fishing. I was course fishing all the way through my youth I used to fish the gin clear Bridgewater to Taunton Canal which is about three to four foot deep you get to see things like bream spawning and you can find places where the tench hang out and I caught roach to three pounds, I caught rudd to two and a half to three pounds. It was just an amazing place to fish. And then when I moved away, I was working at Hinkley Point Power Station, I moved away to another power station, moved up here in the Bristol area, found Chew Valley and Blagden Lakes. A chap at work called Dave Reardon taught me how to tie a fly and how to cast. And I went fishing. first place I ever fished for trout was at... Kennick Reservoir in a competition, funnily enough, organised by the, the CEGB that I worked for, and I uh, caught a trout as I was winding in after a really bad cast on a black machuca lure. 
and that got me hooked on fly fishing. And then I had about 10 years of season tickets where I fished a bank here at Chew and Blagden. I had lots of early mornings. I'd get up before the alarm went off even, and that was sometimes before it was light. So I'd get the hour before sunrise at Chew Valley or Blagden, and I'd be out 3.15 in the middle of summer, and then I'd go to work at 8 o'clock, and I'd be asleep at my desk by 12. So uh, that's how I learned a lot of about fish behaviour. And now I've been a professional guide for 20 years, and I enjoy my job just as much as I did in the first year. Although I fly fish, because I don't do it competitively, I know nothing about the structure of the various branches and leagues within the sport, so perhaps you should shed a bit of light there too. We're just trying to, that's the English Federation of Fly Fishers, we're trying to restructure the way we organise our qualifiers, because at the moment you get one shot at it, and if you get knocked out, and it could be no fault of your own, you manage to catch a limit of fish, someone catches them just a little bit quicker, or they're just a bit bigger, and you get knocked out at that stage, then you can't fish the national, and therefore you won't be in the England team for the following year. So we're trying to bring in multiple qualifiers, and I run the Lexus competition, and that's the biggest individual competition there is, probably in the world, actually. And uh, we have multiple qualifiers, and the whole emphasis of that is, one, to enjoy it, but two, to get to the final. And once you get to the final, you've got a chance of winning the car. The same should apply for the Federation matches, because you just need consistent anglers, and you need the best anglers in the national to then, fair enough, you can eliminate people through then at the top 28 going to the team, two teams for the next year, but that's the way to do it. So that's our main sort of structure for internationals. Uh, you've got the Angling Water team events, and you've got the Lexus team events, and then you've got the Lexus individual events. They're the main competitions that we have. Lots of competitions have come and gone over the year, lots of club competitions, but they're all low profile. So now we're trying to since Lexus have been involved, we're giving away £60,000 worth of car every year. I mean, it's phenomenal for a fly fishing competition, really. So we've tried to up the image, really, of fly fishing. But the anglers are probably our own worst enemies. We've got some of the best fishing on Chew Valley that we've ever had. This year, for example, and um, with lack of money or maybe previous bad experiences, they're not supporting the fishery. So we've got to get the anglers out. And uh, we need to get more and more people back into fly fishing because it is a brilliant sport. There will obviously be a lot of fly fishermen out there taking part in competitions on a regular basis, some of whom will be very good, but not all of whom are going to progress on to the next level. From an international perspective now, if you have such ambitions, what can you do to get yourself noticed? The way to get into the England team is for the Rivers or the Lockstyle, you must qualify. So it's not any good at all being known angler, being a brilliant angler, unless you qualify. So you've got to go through qualification processes to get into the team. Once you've got into the Lockstyle team and the Rivers team, then you can be selected for the European and World teams. But there's only six people in each team, and one of those is a reserve. So really it's five anglers for the World of Europeans, hand-picked from all the English anglers in the country. So first of all, you've got to qualify. So you qualify by trying to get into the Lockstyle, you then qualify trying to get into the rivers because you've got to have dual skills. Once you get to world and European, everybody in the world knows that England is the best country in the world for stillwater lockstar fishing. There's no doubt about that. It's been proven, it's on record. And uh, so most countries try and knock us out of that equation. So they have, say there's five heats in a world of European, five different sessions, four quite often a river and one is a lake which is just chucked in with a load of stockies and we've got no advantage that way either. When it was held in Scotland in 2009, it was four lakes or locks and one river 
and we won the World Championships in 2009, even though we were 50 points behind the French after the first day. So we came back and overhauled them and beat them, which was probably one of the best things we've ever done. It's probably the best comeback there's ever been in fly fishing. So you've got to earn your place first of all, and then you're in a pot to see who's going to be selected for World and European. What do you see as the demands of competitive fishing which set it apart from pleasure fishing? I think you've just got to concentrate an awful lot more. When you pleasure fishing, you can go out and fish the way you want to fish and try to catch fish the way you want to catch them. In a competition, it's a complete change around. You've got to give the fish what they want, whether you want to do it or not. If your game isn't fishing sinking lines and pulling back lures, a non-imitative pattern, but that's what they happen to want at certain venues, then you've got to do it and you've got to be good at doing it. So it's no good just chucking on a sinker and hoping you can do it because you won't. So you've got to practice and the best anglers in the world are the people with the biggest gamut of skills. And so you've got to be able to fish floating lines with nymphs, floating lines dries. You've got to be able to pull sinking lines from slow sink right through to the fastest sinkers you can get. So there's lots and lots of different skills you've got to have. Having established the driving structure behind competitive fly fishing, can we now start to look a little more closely at some of the mechanisms? In theory at least, competitive fishing is the same as leisure fishing in terms of approach, but done with a little more urgency. Or is that too simplistic a view? It's not just done with a bit more urgency, it's, it's far more concentration. If I'm fishing in a competition, I can tell you at the end of the day exactly how many takes I've had, which ones I've missed, which ones I've caught, which ones I've lost because your concentration levels, you can't afford to lose fish. And uh, nowadays, if I get a take, for example, fishing a floating line, and I feel the take, then I feel bad angling. It's really important to see the take before you feel it. So that's why I count up as I'm going along how many takes I've actually had. And quite often, the ones that you lose or you don't connect with are the ones that pull you at the hand. And that's what most people are waiting for, a nice pull. Well, that's not good enough. Winning an international cap presumably involves a very large dose of consistency, but not nearly so large as maintaining team inclusion once you've arrived, and dare I say it, winning the number of medals you have across the entire fly fishing scene. What then are your thoughts on consistency, and what must be done to achieve it? Very difficult to actually define how to be consistent in fly fishing. The thing that you have to do is to practice. And before any major match, you've got to practice. And the more days you have practicing on the water, the better it is. And also, you get in touch with the, the fishing conditions, you get in touch with the changes in weather, you get in touch with the changes in wind direction, the increase in wind speeds, the decrease in wind speeds, going to flat calms, you've got to be out there. So the more you're actually on the water, immediately prior to a match, then the better it is. And it helps you as an angler. Uh, when you fish world championships and European championships, we're really on a, a difficult number here because you're not allowed to practice for three months before the event. So you can't go on any of the waters that are going to be in the world championships for 90 days prior to it. So the host country has a massive advantage. And if it's wild fish or very difficult fishing, they have an even bigger advantage because they might be able to work out a few ways to locate some of these fish. So you go to somewhere like New Zealand and you're fishing a water that you've never ever been on in your life. Yet the locals have fished it for years probably, so they know. But even so, you know, in Rota Era in New Zealand, I got onto the lake there, second session, and in three hours caught ten fish, doubled the amount that the local New Zealander caught. But it's just that we've got better methods of catching fish, that's all. And uh, we're just better. And one of the things you do seem to get, funnily enough, the easier the fishing is and the more productive the fishing is, the lazier the local anglers are, because they don't bother. 
you know, if it's a difficult day, they'll just say, forget it, we'll go out the next day. So consistency is really, really key, but the only way you can really be consistent is to practice a lot and fish a lot. The more you fish, the better you get. And to what extent does quality of tackle also play a part in all of this? Quality of tackle, um, there's, we've got fantastic fluorocarbon leaner materials nowadays, which is better than we've ever had before. Um, we've got the best fishing rods in the world now. The Sintrix rods from Hardy and Grays, fantastic, so light, so strong. You can do so much with them. You can even tread on them like I have in the past and they've not broken. So it is quite amazing the sort of quality of tackle we've got nowadays. Fly lines. I mean, there's so many types of fly lines there are nowadays. And uh, floating lines are floating lines. But once you get the sinking lines, there are so many different sink rates. You need to know how many inches per second your fly line sinks. You need to know how quickly it's going to get down to a certain depth and keep it there. You need to be methodical. You need to count down. And uh, remember for next time, once you've just had a take, if you've got non-stretch lines, you've got stretchy lines, you've got sweep lines, you've got standard lines, and you need them all, basically. If you're going to be a serious competition angler, sometimes one of those lines will give you the edge over your opponents. So fly lines are really important. Fly reels, pretty important, but maybe they are a way of storing lines. I use a disc drag, and I think it's really helpful when you're playing big fish on light tippet, but other people aren't so worried about their reels. My preferred rods and reels are all made by Hardy's, Hardy's are Grays. Harry Croston's their chief tackle designer and he's a genius. We've got him to thank for the Centrix ranges of rods that we've got nowadays. They are very, very strong. You can cast a long way with minimum effort, but you can still hook fish a long way away, set the hook and not snap or bend your hook out straight. So it's really important to have good tackle. And you get what you pay for nowadays. But there's a lot of cheap imports you can get so just starting off in fishing tackle you know you can still set up for 100 pounds rod reel and line so it's still quite a an easy sport in some ways you can just go fishing fly fishing with a rod reel line box of flies and a landing net and that's it you're on your way i don't but uh <laughs> you know you, you physically can so it is still quite nice without having to take hordes of bait and the rest of the stuff with you presumably to become really serious then watercraft and a good solid ability to identify the various invertebrates you either see around you or spoon from the fish you catch must also play a major role in achieving success. Ah, it's an important part. I spoon every fish I catch. I spoon all my clients' fish. Some people tell me I ought to go out a bit more, but uh, I find it really interesting. At the moment, you see, on Chew, we've got the highest water levels we've ever had at this time of year. We've got very little weed growth for the whole season because of the high water levels. And the fish are spread all over the lake. But what they're feeding on at the moment is the best trout fishing at this time of year in November that we've ever experienced in our lives, any of us. And uh, we're catching loads of three, four, five and six pound grown on trout, big rainbows, putting back the brownies. But you're spooning the rainbows and they've got hog lace or shrimp in them. That's keeping them feeding deep, which is keeping them fairly close to the bottom, which means there's a really good chance they could overwinter. We don't try, I don't try personally, to imitate exactly what the fish are feeding on. I believe far more in suggestion being better than imitation. And as long as it's sensible and not ridiculous patterns, then uh, the fly isn't that critical. But where you fish it and how you fish it is absolutely critical. Dedication is another element that will come into play here too. I've heard from other internationals across all branches of angling that it can even go so far as to affect your home life. So for you, is it an obsession or a hobby? Competition fly fishing for me is compulsive and it's obsessive and fishing itself is compulsive for me and (laughs) 
it's something once you start fishing you love fishing you can never walk over a bridge again without looking over the other side and seeing what's there wherever you happen to be in the world whatever happens to be in the water there and i find it really interesting as well i like the competition side because you've got to concentrate so much more and you put all your efforts in rather than just having a laid-back day and you know i am a sportsman i've played a lot of different competitive sports i've played cricket for somerset when i was younger i played semi-pro football for best part of 20 odd years and so I still love the cut and thrust of competition but it is definitely obsessive this is my second marriage much better than my first marriage I've got to say and uh, I've been married to Deb now for getting on for 20 years so she's 10 years younger than me so that keeps me fit as well so in the nicest possible way (laughs) but uh, now I've got kids as well and I've taught the three children how to uh, fly fish and how to course fish as well I just want them to appreciate the countryside as well really so um, fishing is one way of getting out there and we've, we're in danger of breeding a whole nation of caged potatoes nowadays who are great on texting and going on the internet and surfing the net but they don't know anything about what's flying overhead you know they wouldn't know the difference between a peregrine falcon and a crow which is sad I think nowadays and probably an awful lot of adults exactly the same and fishing you see so much when you're out there you know the bird life we see here is phenomenal and you know we fish in some of the nicest places in the world and I've been lucky to fish all over the world so I see all sorts of things, from grizzly bears to moose to bald eagles. You know, it's just incredible. Looking specifically at practice now, I presume there are going to be different elements to it, such as method, venue and time of year. But whatever you do won't necessarily prepare you completely for conditions on the day, which may well differ from those of earlier practice sessions. I take it that this is where the breadth and depth of experience kicks in. <laughs> you normally find, like this year down at Buell, we practice for three days. Howard Croston and myself to get into the England team you had to be in the top 28 out of 100 anglers and we'd already qualified to get to that stage and each of the three days the weather conditions changed and on the match day it went completely flat calm which is my favourite conditions I love flat calms and because uh, I know there's not going to be a lot of fish caught and the fish should be rising but we hadn't had to fish flat calms down there and we didn't know whether they respond to dry flies so it just throws you completely but because you've been out there and you pull on elements that you've done before or you've fished in other matches or other days similar sort of days like that I was able to concentrate on finding some flat calm areas and catching some fish on dries ah we've got the sailing club out having a good old motor around in the safety launch it's just playing and when you're fishing that's so annoying oh well never mind they're having fun and when you go to an international match as part of a team are there strict team orders which may differ between team members to try to get the best overall result? Or are you free to make your own decisions? And if so, at what point might that be? Either to deviate from the plan or to go for individual honours if the opportunity arises? Right, that is a very difficult one because uh, normally it's all about the team and it's all about winning gold medals for Team England. There is a time and an element of individual glory as well and that's great but it normally follows a team achievement this year we realised in Slovenia that we probably weren't going to achieve a team medal but one of our guys Howard Croston was in fourth place overall so um, he had a chance of an individual medal so we all rallied round and tried to give him even more support to try and push him that little bit further to try and get an individual medal and he almost achieved it. Had he had two good draws in the last two sessions, he would have definitely been in the top three, or maybe even world champion. But I've been in the same position myself. You end up fourth 
to be in the top ten in a world championship, whatever you do, is a brilliant achievement. So uh, it's he managed fourth place, but he's if he gets the draws and if he gets good beats of river and if he fishes his lakes properly, you know, he's a budding world champion, definitely. What if you suddenly find yourself in a promising situation that had not been previously envisaged? What level of flexibility is built into the planning? We have a team plan, but the anglers who fish for England in the worlds and the Europeans are good enough anglers to be able to change tactics pretty quickly, or they should be good enough anyway. And really, basically, you're on your own. The only person you can talk to during a three-hour session is your team manager. There's only one team manager, and he can only be in one place at one time. So most of the time, you're making all the decisions for yourself. You might have a team plan, and you try and operate and fish to the team plan, but the whole thing about fishing is that fish don't have a plan. Fish do different things, so you've got to change as the fish change, and the conditions change. So really, you're on your own. You've got to make your own decisions for it. But what we don't want in a team is five out-and-out individuals, because if you get that situation and they have a bad first session, they know that their chances of winning an individual medal is just about scuppered, so they lose interest. So you don't want those people. That's what's really important. You can't always select five people for a world or European team just by having qualifying matches. It doesn't work. You've got to have people that will gel. You've got to have people that will share absolutely everything. You don't want any single-minded individualists who really don't care about the rest of the team. It's got to be the team, first and foremost. And then, if something good comes out of it for the individual, then fine. Now, obviously, lock styling is boat fishing, but presumably not all international duties are going to be pursued from a boat. To be in a world team, you've got to be a good lock style angler, a good bank angler, and a good river angler. You've got to have all three skills. We've got lots of good river anglers who are great river anglers, all imitative fishermen, brilliant, but trying to get half a dozen fish out of a really bad 100 metres of river their heads go because they can't catch them the way they want to. So it's all about prizing those fish out. So I'd rather have really good competition anglers who are weaned on lakes because there's far more methods necessary on lakes and then make them into good river anglers or good competition river anglers than have an out-and-out river angler and try and make him to a lake angler. It doesn't work. None of our brilliant river anglers are much good on lakes. Are there any international competitions out there specifically for bank anglers? Yeah, there's a, an international bank fishing competition now that's set up and we have teams represented now by bank anglers. The only problem about pegging a bank match is that you've got a bit of bank and you've got to try and catch what you can from that position on a lake. Now, if the fish are at the other end of the lake, doesn't matter how good you are, you aren't going to catch anything. And the great thing about competition boat fishing is that you can't anchor you fish to a very strict set of rules and you drift and everybody has got exactly the same chance. Whereas if you've got a good draw on the bank, you can slaughter everybody, not necessarily because you're better than them, just because you've got the fish in front of you. So I tend not to fish competitions that aren't really, really fair. And any of the competitions I run are run to the fairest rules we possibly can have. And one of the problems we've got in world uh, fly fishing and European fly fishing at the moment, our rivers competitions, are fish to an area where people can almost fish where they want. Whereas in a world in European, you've got a peg bit of river. And you'll find always, when they stop, if you draw a bridge area, there'll be more fish than halfway along the middle because people drop the stockfish off the bridge and they're lazy and they don't walk along. And also fish swim to where they want to swim. And they like those sort of areas with sort of built-up bridges and, and uh, those sort of... It gives them something to target. So I like 
the fairest sort of competitions you can get, which to me is Lockstar Lake Fishing. Another two, which do you think is the more challenging, boat or bank? The most challenging fishing there is in fly fishing is a huge lake in a boat because people looking at 29 miles of the Great Lake in Tasmania, where the hell do you go? What do you do? You look at a river, and if you've got any sort of nags whatsoever, you can work out a seam, you can work out the way the water's running, you can see spot fish moving, that sort of thing, and you've never got a massive area to cover. But in a lake, you could have thousands and thousands of acres. So you could end up going on Loch Corrib, 44,000 acres, and where on earth do you start? might take you half an hour to get to where you're going to go. Expanding a little now on the degree of difficulty posed by fishing from a boat, might it be profitable at times to take risks by going into marginal situations when not everybody will feel comfortable or even safe? Or are the rules and safeguards with respect to that sort of thing? Nowadays, health and safety plays a big part in all our lake fishing. And if the winds get to over 20 miles an hour on most reservoirs, they stop the boats from going out. Everyone has to wear life jackets nowadays. It's compulsory on every single reservoir that we fish. There's also things like at Chew Valley, they've got a DVD that you've got to watch before you go out and it tells you sensible and safe boat handling practices. Um, A lot of it is common sense really, but you could still turn up at a fishery having never been in a boat in your life, turn up, pay your ticket, give them your name and address and go fishing. And thankfully, there haven't been that many disasters over the years. But I think over the next few years, there will be sort of boat handling courses that people need to say that they've actually taken part in, which is sensible. But the main thing is, if it's a windy day, always motor low revs, motor into the wind and not across it. Don't leave it to the last second to actually start your engine and move off. And uh, don't drift into really rough areas like down walls and that. Most of the time they don't hold fish anyway. It's a load of rubbish that all the food is blown along onto the lee shore and that all the fish are waiting there. It's junk. Presumably, when you get to your sort of level, you'll be competing against a totally different calibre of angler to fishing, say, a regional league, and from a wider range of experiences. But how wide a range? Just how global are the World Championships? The World Fishing Championships are now competed by, I think it was 34 countries in Slovenia. So you get people from Japan, from Ireland, from France, Belgium, Mexico... Malta, Australia, New Zealand, you name it. All the main countries, or a lot of the main countries in the world, take part in the World Championship. So it really is a global event. And even the Lexus competition that I run, we get people come across from Canada, from Australia, from France, Belgium, Czech Republic. They all know how good the English anglers are and the British anglers are at Lockstar fly fishing, and they all want to learn from us. And the best way to learn is to actually be out in a competition competing with these guys. So it really is a global event nowadays. And when we won it in 2009, it was the biggest world championships had ever been. So that was a real feather in England's cap there. As I mentioned earlier, your international successes CV is incredible with six world championship goals. Had there been just the one, I would have asked you to give us a blow-by-blow account of that occasion. But with so many to choose from, it's hard for me to nominate just one. I'm still going to ask you to do it, but with the actual occasion being your choice, and it need not necessarily be a gold win, or even a win at all. So which inclusion on your CV gave you the most personal satisfaction, and why? It's got to be winning the World Championships in 2009, especially having been 54 points behind the French after the first day. And on the final morning, I spoke to the French team manager, and I wished Jacques Boyko bon chance to him and his team. 
And he said, John, because we've known each other for years, John, this is a great day. And he put his hands on his shoulders and he went, for us, ha, 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 When we came in and we'd beaten him by 15 points at the end of the day, and I was able to say, remember what you said to me this morning, Jacques? No. I said, this is a great day, but not for you, for us. Well, we, we, they're not good in defeat. They're great when they're winning, but they are lousy, lousy losers. And it was great to have absolutely stuffed the French on that final day. And also, I was on Loch Leven on the final day. This was the best session I've ever fished, I think. If you caught one fish on Loch Leven in your three-hour session, you'd be in the top five, because only five people were catching fish out of 35 every day. And uh, the weather conditions were fairly rough. People were fishing lures with sinking lines, and suddenly the winds dropped, and it just went absolutely still. So you're only allowed to set up one rod. So I stripped that rod down and I put up a midge tip line with a team of buzzer nymphs on it. And I cast it out and I straightened it and I had a take first cast. And my boatman, who was Scots, he went berserk. He was, get it in, get it in, get it in, join, join, get in. And I got in the landing net when I finally did. He did a jig in the boat. My Italian boat partner was pleased. I gave my Italian boat partner the fly I caught it on so he could get something as well. But that fish got me third in that session drew me up to 10th individual overall as well but more importantly the Frenchman in our session blanked and we beat them by 15 points so I had three points I think and he had 35 so if you blank you get the total combination of whatever how many people are fishing in it so that's the fish really that won us the world championships in the end so it was great so that's probably my most memorable bit one fish <laughs> Of course, as important as all of this is, there will also have been lighter moments too. So are there any amusing or quirky little incidents which immediately spring to mind? Oh, crikey loads. I fall in a lot when I'm fishing on rivers. And I was in Poland years ago, and I was wading in this bit of river, and it was a really rough bit of river. I was catching a few grayling and the odd brown trout, and I was getting pushed more and more downstream. And I looked above me, and I wondered what these strange sort of things were hanging off of like runners going above my head across the river and I couldn't work it out and I realised I was on a canoe slalom course so I was wading on a really treacherous bit of river and I lost my footing and as I lost my footing a raft went past with about 20 tourists on it because that's what they do they get these rafts going down the river and I fell in came out bobbed up went along to a big round of applause to all these people and, uh, and I got out of the water and I was a bit shaken up actually because it's really freezing cold as well and I got out and the sun was absolutely piercing down and as the day got on I could smell this smell and I was walking around I was looking in the bushes I thought somebody's been to the toilet here and then I smelt my shirt and it was actually my shirt and the river was full of raw sewage and we were all ill everybody was ill some people had living bacteria in their guts for weeks afterwards as well and falling in this river and swallowing the water and also biting my leader since that day, I've never bitten my leader off since. It was acrid, but it was me that was smelling like that as I dried out in the sun. So we have, some, we have lots of good things as well as the bad things, but that was, I do tend to fall in a lot. I fell in in Slovenia this year as well, and a fly box with about a 1,000 flies went floating off down the river, but it was lucky because if Howard hadn't pulled me out by the scruff of my neck, I'd have been bobbing down the river, and it was dangerous. And that's one of the things at the moment that is a bit scary still. With health and safety, you've got to be so careful and sensible in boats, yet on the rivers they just let you go, do what you want to do. Which is probably more dangerous. Miles more dangerous. And as much as I love competing for England, as much as I would do everything I can to catch that one fish, I'm not going to risk my life for it, because I've got a family. 
And finally, a question I've asked several other international anglers across the various disciplines and received some very candid and interesting responses to. What are your thoughts on the way your branch of international selection and management are conducted? Can it be jobs for the boys? Does your face need to fit? And are there people there who shouldn't be there? Time to dish the dirt. Our selection process has been pretty good over the years. What people don't realise back home is how big the World Championships and European Championships are getting now and how good the quality of the other teams are. When we used to win loads of gold medals, because we're still fourth in the overall world medals listings, which is fantastic. But what people don't realise is that when England were winning a lot, there were only eight or nine countries taking part. Now there's 35. And the number's growing all the time as well. So we have to keep on trying to improve all the time. Plus, most of the events take part on rivers, and we don't get great access to rivers in this country. A lot of them are very expensive, they're syndicated, you just can't get on them. In Eastern European countries, they've got loads of rivers. You go to Slovakia, Slovenia, Czech Republic, Poland, they've got rivers coming out of their ears. They've got so much water they can fish, and pretty much for nothing. And we're trying to get our methods up to speed with these guys, and it is difficult, very difficult. Our selection process is great for the rivers and the, the lock style because you've got to qualify to take part. But once you've got into those two, you then have, in my opinion, to have a committee that handpicks the people that are going to be in the world and Europeans. Because five people have got to gel and you've also got to have five people that aren't going to get really nervous because you've got no team members or anything with you. When you're off on a coach, you've got none of your mates with you, that's it. You're on a coach with 34 other competitors, quite often in a country where none of the controllers talk your language so you've got to have bottle for it definitely and there's been times when I've been thinking oh no what am I doing here maybe I'm not good enough anymore and then you catch a few fish and then you suddenly realise that perhaps I'm good enough to be here still but you know if I thought I wasn't good enough I wouldn't do it anymore but if I did that I would then want to try and get into the selection and maybe become world team manager or something like that because I've got more experience than anybody else at that level and I do love taking part still and at the moment while I still think I'm good enough I'll do it but as soon as I feel I'm not good enough anymore then I'll step down or maybe they won't select me anyway so who knows I don't know if I'm in the team for next year yet, so. so in your experience the selection process is done fairly and transparently it has been yeah um, there have been some times when we've had certain managers that haven't selected people on their merits more on whether they like them or not and that didn't work and for that period of time mentioning no names we won nothing now we've had good managers over the years Jeff Clarkson who was an MBE he was our most successful manager but he did manage at a time when there weren't many countries in it but still he was an excellent manager and now we've got Ian Greenwood who's coming to the end of his managership at world level he's won the world championships in Scotland he was our manager Paul Page is doing well in the Europeans and he's now Stepping up, I think, to world level. He was our manager in Slovenia last year, did a really good job. So you've got to have honest people. That's the main thing. The same applies when doing interviews such as this, particularly as they're intended for historical archive as well as being immediate sources of information. And in that regard, I thank you very much for your time. Less enjoyable has been the late afternoon cold as the sun dips down below the horizon. Yet still the boats are coming in here with reports of very good fish.